When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. This episode of Mythology features mutilation, child abuse, and cannibalism. Please exercise caution for children under 13. Argus didn't know how long they had languished in the dark. The cold rock pressed in on all sides, stifling any attempt to sit comfortably or even stand to his full height. His one eye, which could see even in the dimmest moonlight, was useless in the utter blackness of this pit. It was lonely. It was stifling. It was cold. Any attempts at communication with his brothers was smothered by the earth around them, and all he heard from them was a near-constant groan of pain from a hundred and fifty-two mouths. This was Tartarus. This was where their father had sealed them away. And then, when they thought they were free, their half-brother Cronus had returned them to this hell for the crime of existing. He was so like their father. But something was different. The walls had begun to shift. Argus could feel the world outside changing. Cronus, is that you? What fresh torment are you going to inflict on your own kin? I bring you no torment. I bring a chance to be free of this prison. You're not Cronus. But I am your kin. The ceiling split above them, and the Cyclops found his vision swallowed by stinging sunlight. Even when his eye had adjusted, he found the new arrival difficult to look at. He shone like the sun, divine power unlike any Argus had seen among the Titans. The two other Cyclopes and the three hundred-handed ones rose to their feet to stare at this newcomer. You look like a Titan. What would you want from us? To taunt us with freedom, perhaps? No, my brother. I offer it to you, if you fight beside me. We will never fight alongside the Titans who betrayed us. You will when you learn who we fight. For we are not Titans. We are something new. You seek to depose Cronus? My name is Zeus. I'm the son of Cronus. And with your help, his successor. Argus grinned, baring his jagged teeth. Even without looking, he could tell that his brothers were filled with the same passion for revenge, and he had just the skills to aid this young godling. The three Cyclopes, 
Argus, Vrontes, and Steropes set about forging spears made of light that would split the clouds with their raw power, weapons Zeus could use to bring his father to heal. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today is the beginning of our Mythology Father's Day special. Over the next two weeks, we'll explore the theme of fatherhood through two of the most infamous patriarchs in the Greek pantheon. That is the story of Zeus and his father, the Titan, Cronus. This iconic story poses an interesting philosophical question. Is our mortality the only thing that allows our children to take our place? Or is succession from parent to offspring inevitable? even if we live forever. The age of the Titans has been called a golden age, but in truth, little is known about it. It was modeled after Mycenaean Greece, a culture whose records are shrouded in mystery. Their civilization collapsed suddenly around the late 13th century BCE, This mysterious cataclysm is the historical basis for the transition from Titanic rule to that of the Olympians. Within this transition, the story of Cronus is one of the most frequently retold bad father stories in all of antiquity. It's even been told once before on this podcast in our episode on the Titanomachy. And yet, despite their enormity within culture, much of what we know about the Titans stems from a single poem— The Theogony, a work attributed to the poet Hesiod, dated sometime in the mid-700s BCE. The events of the war between the gods and the titans are somewhat vague and penned in broad strokes by scholars. The role of certain titans in this conflict has been left entirely up to the imagination, including the one who is often cited as the father of humanity. The world was changed. The young titan Prometheus had not been there to witness it, but it was impossible to miss. That day, the cosmos shook, and it felt like the very sky was about to split in two. Soon, whispers reached Prometheus about what had happened, how his uncle Cronus had castrated the sky god Uranus with a scythe crafted by Gaia, the Earth Mother. He figured it was for the best, Uranus had grown old and distant, uncaring towards creation. His fall was inevitable. Prometheus was unsurprised when Cronus failed to make good on his promise to Gaia, leaving the Cyclopes and Hecatonchores in their prison. Cronus was too like their father to make the world entirely different. The other Titans loved him. They rampaged through the fields, sea, and sky, reveling in their dominion over the earth. But where his brothers wanted to use their time to indulge their passions, Prometheus wanted to create. Using clay from the earth, he sculpted a form like the Titans in appearance, but cruder and more fragile. 
a short-sighted god might have considered it a failure. Prometheus saw the art in these imperfections. He let them wander the earth, and to his amazement, they did not die off. They thrived, developing a civilization that mirrored their heavenly forebears. He was delighted. He had to show his creation to the king of the Titans. When he found Cronus, the great Titan was not in his palace. He stood in a field of wheat, swinging his scythe wildly, carving a path through the grain. The blood of Uranus was still dry upon the blade, giving it a dull purple hue. <clears throat> um, excuse me, mighty Cronus, are you busy? <sighs> what do you want, Prometheus? I'd like you to observe the creature I have made. It is unique among our subjects. In them, I have mixed the elements of immortal beings into a mortal form. Truly extraordinary work, if I do say so myself. <laughs> you will soon learn that there is little joy to be gained from creation. Your ambition is admirable, but you are only creating another being to defy us. You don't like it. Do not despair, Prometheus. We need no new subjects. We are all powerful. These last few years, I have even defeated destiny. Prometheus knit his brow in confusion. He had heard rumors of the fate Uranus had prophesied for his youngest son, that he would one day give birth to children who would overthrow him in turn. Prometheus was taken aback at the lengths that his uncle would go to ensure that didn't happen. Uncle, I am impressed. That must require great restraint. Restraint? To not lie with Rhea. For surely the only way to prevent your children from taking your throne is to not have children at all. <laughs> you are clever, nephew, but far too narrow-minded. Retaining the greatest throne in the history of existence requires greater sacrifice than that. Then you still... What did you do, Cronus? But Cronus would not answer, turning to continue hacking away at the wheat. Sweat formed on his torso, evaporating in a plume of steam. A feeling of dread crept down the younger Titan's spine as he watched his uncle go about his work. Something was wrong with the King of the Titans. With each swing of the scythe, the muscles along his entire form rippled, and beneath them, his belly was warped and distended. It did not look like the natural swell one gained from a feast, but something far more grotesque. The Titan's lower abdomen was bloated like a spider's egg sac and writhed as if something inside was fighting to escape. Prometheus bowed hurriedly, turned and ran, ran as fast as his feet would carry him. He would discover the truth of what had happened. The other Titans would not have interfered, but Prometheus was the Titan of foresight. His sense of the future was greater than any of his kin. Whatever Cronus had done with his children could spell doom for them all. The doors of the palace stood ajar. 
For a terrible moment, Prometheus thought that the queen of the Titans might not be at home. If she did not want to be found, a search for her would be fruitless, even for a Titan as clever as he. He slipped inside, letting his feet alight gently in the entrance hall. The chamber seemed empty and as silent as the void. Prometheus would have left without seeing anyone if a single sob had not reached his ears. Prometheus turned at the sound and saw a shape crouching in the darkest corner of the room. A female figure curled into a ball. He barely recognized Rhea. In truth, he had never seen her look so small. He bowed deeply. My queen, forgive me for disturbing you. Leave me be, Prometheus. I have no time for your flights of fancy today. I do not come for myself. I heard something was amiss and came to see if my council could offer any relief. You seem upset. Do not presume so, Titan of Trickery. Rhea rose to her feet, suddenly so tall that her head nearly reached the arched ceiling. Prometheus knelt before her, not out of fear, but out of respect for the mighty Titaness. This was the queen he knew her to be. Something had to be seriously amiss for her to hide her true form until now. He continued to talk, choosing his words as carefully as he dared. I spoke to Cronus today. I surmised that you needed a more sympathetic ear. Do you think you know our minds? That you are clever enough to anticipate the thoughts of the king and queen of the universe? I know about the prophecy, Rhea. Of course you do. Everyone does. Cronus is all-powerful. He will overcome any challenger, no matter how great. I have no agenda. I merely want to know what Cronus did with your children. Rhea's face was like a mask, but in her eyes, Prometheus saw her emotions fighting to the surface, like drowning men. Please, tell me what became of the children destined to overthrow him. I promise you, what you tell me will never reach your husband. You do not wish to know. I do. You know how I love puzzles. What is a prophecy but a puzzle designed by fate itself? Perhaps. Here's a puzzle for you. A riddle for the great mind of Prometheus. How does a husband become pregnant after his wife has given birth? I do not know. By overeating. Prometheus swayed on his feet. It explained everything. The horrible roiling of his uncle's belly. His words about sacrifice. Of course he felt all-powerful. He had sealed his fated successor inside his immortal body. Prometheus had always thought Cronus a cruel ruler. No benevolent man could imprison the Cyclopes and Hecatonchires the way he had. But this was beyond what Prometheus thought any being was capable of. The horror caused his own stomach to turn. He had to know. He had to know what led Cronus to such a grisly course of action. Coming up, Rhea reveals the fate of her children. Now, back to the story. On the day that Cronus overthrew our father, I had never seen anyone so beautiful. Rhea, queen of the Titans, was not used to confiding in those she deemed lesser than herself. 
For most of her immortal life, she would answer to no one except Cronus, her husband and king. But he was no longer worthy of her confidence. When she began to tell her story to her nephew, Prometheus, a strange feeling spread through her form. Relief. Of all the titans, perhaps the crafty and perceptive Prometheus would understand what she had gone through and what she planned to do. You remember the day, I'm sure, when his blade bit into our father's loins. It felt like he would tear through the sky itself, like nothing so momentous would ever happen again. You were the father to us all. Now you will be father to none. I still hear the pained screams of our father echoing on the wind. But it had to be done. For our mother's sake. For the sake of our brothers in Tartarus. Rhea's jaw tensed. There were some parts of this story that she did not want the younger Titan to know. First of these was her own feelings at the time, that when she saw her father flee to the heavens, she spared not a single thought for her imprisoned half-brothers. She only thought of him, Cronus, of how his power would be theirs to share. She had watched the Sky Father's iridescent blood glint off his scythe and had never desired a being more, even as Uranus promised that Cronus would be overthrown by his children. There was no true happiness in our victory. Our father's last words to us were not an impotent promise of revenge or a petty final insult. They were moros. They were fate. I soon realized that Cronus had not emasculated Uranus for our mother's sake, not for our brothers in chains. He had done it for himself. The words rang hollow in Rhea's mouth. How could she condemn Cronus for his self-interest when she too had reveled in his power and glory? She had no love for the monsters that Uranus had imprisoned. They were chaotic and wild beings, ugly to look at and crude of speech. They belonged underground. Her love for Cronus overran all logic. It was more intoxicating than the finest ambrosia, and when their passion was at its peak, they would shake Mount Othrys to its very roots. She hadn't forgotten the prophecy when the two of them came together as husband and wife, but in the face of such euphoria, it seemed insignificant. A speck on the horizon compared to how immensely satisfying it was to be with the most powerful being in the universe. But as her ecstasy faded, doubt started to seep in. Part of her knew that this bliss would not go on forever, and the thought was sickening to her. They were immortal. Their power should never end. Before she knew it, she was pregnant with her first child, and against her better judgment, she felt hope growing in her chest. I was thrilled by the idea of being a mother, so much so that I momentarily forgot who my husband was. He barely spoke about it, but he grew cold, more guarded, until one night he finally spoke his mind. How soon will the baby be born? Soon enough? What are you thinking? I'm wondering if there's room in Tartarus for one more. You must be joking. Have you known me to make idle jest, Rhea? 
This baby will be dangerous to our rule. It cannot be allowed to roam free. We will give her a proper education, teach her to respect her parents, and she need never fear us. <laughs> like our father taught us? Do not compare yourself to father. Why ever not? I am doomed to his fate! He never saw you coming. Perhaps he would have changed his ways if he was forewarned as you have been. This was not a warning. It was a prophecy. We are not talking about what could happen, but what will. I tire of this discussion. You cannot take our child to Tartarus. If others see you, who knows what they will think. They may rise against you. <sighs> and if the monsters you sealed in Tartarus get their hands on your child, they will poison her against you as well. Getting rid of our child will do us no good. It will only ensure our fate. Cronus looked at her, and for the first time, she recognized the emotion in his fiery eyes. Fear. He seemed to shrink before her, the titan whose powerful arms had cut down the sky itself, seemed a malnourished boy in her bed, uncertain and far from ready to take on the responsibility of fatherhood. You are right. Sending the child away is not an option. The memory brought fresh tears to Rhea's eyes. She had never told a soul about her hopes for the child, not even Cronus. She relied too much on his love for her. She blinked the tears away and folded her arms, turning her gaze to her listener. Prometheus wore a carefully guarded expression, not having said a word during her entire story. A wise choice. Do you know how it feels to misjudge someone you love, Prometheus? I imagine not. Cronus and I had been raised side by side, been both siblings and lovers to each other. I thought, I thought he was the greatest of the Titans, the only one of us who had no fear in him. But the truth about his kind of strength is that it is a performance put on by the weak. When the child was born, I was relieved. The uncertainty was gone. Finally, we would be able to face the prophecy together and defeat our father once again, if only in spirit. Rhea brought her hands to her belly instinctively. Childbirth from a god is not painful in the way it is with mortals. It's an invigorating experience, creating life, but it is just as exhausting. When Rhea gave birth to her first child, she could barely stand, laying on the floor of their bedchamber, slick with sweat. She did not have the energy to go to their bed. Cronus loomed over her. At the time, all she saw in his eyes were the flames of the surrounding torches. She could not read his intent. Give her to me. You must rest. <sighs> Little one. This is your father, Cronus. This is Demeter. She's beautiful. Like her parents. But she does not yet have our strength. <sighs> Forgive me, my love. I do this for us. Cronus lifted the child by her swaddling clothes and stuffed her in his mouth. 
Rhea screamed as the child's chubby limbs fought against her father's jaw. For a brief moment, it squirmed against the sides of his mouth. A vein pulsed in the titan's forehead as he forced his jaw shut. His cheeks bulged horribly, and then he swallowed. The way his throat stretched, I thought the child was going to burst through and sever his head from his shoulders. But it was a newborn. She never had a chance. None of them did. Them? You mean... Yes. We have had five children, and he has swallowed them all. Prometheus raised his hands to his head, eyes wide with horror. Rhea felt a flash of anger at the young titan. He was looking at her like he would a monster, not a member of his own family. He had no right to look at her this way. Prometheus could not possibly understand what it was like to love someone, even as you watched them grow foul and corrupt before your eyes. Don't you dare judge me, nephew! Not all of us will settle for children of clay. Yes, I lay with him again and begat more children by him. But if you knew the children were doomed, why have them? The agony of losing a child is great, but so too was the ecstasy of having them to begin with. Perhaps I believed that if I did not falter, Cronus would change his approach and become a father rather than an executioner. This cannot go on forever. It will not. And that is where I have need of you and your tricks. What do you intend to do? I am with child again. When I go into labor, I need Cronus distracted. Long enough for Gaia and I to hide the child. His wrath will be great. I am no warrior. I cannot stand against him should he discover our scheme. Did I say I needed a warrior? If that were the case, I would have called Atlas. I need a Titan who can outsmart Cronus. Who knows how to play on his pride? <laughs> Flattery will not sway me, my queen. Then perhaps logic will. My child is fated to overthrow Cronus. Would you not rather be on the winning side of this conflict? And maybe the new ruler will look more kindly on your humans. How soon will the baby be born? Within a fortnight. Go now, before Cronus returns. Yes, my lady. And Prometheus. Yes? If you even think about betraying us, I will create a new hell for you especially, even deeper than Tartarus. With a bow, Prometheus left her sight. Only three immortals knew about his plot, Rhea, Prometheus, and her mother, Gaia. Rhea had faith that the young titan would not betray them. He put too much faith in prophecy. Her baby squirmed inside her, kicking the inside of her abdomen sharply. She winced. He was stronger than any of the others had been. Perhaps there was hope for this child after all. Cronus had never felt so heavy. With each new child he ingested, his footsteps became like leaden weights. As an immortal, he had no need to eat, but he hated that their presence inside his stomach denied him even that simple pleasure. The scythe cut into his knuckles as he squeezed the blade. He had no choice. They would have overthrown him. 
Somewhere deep within his being, he kept asking himself if it was worth it, if eternal rule was worth never-ending discomfort. Each step caused him considerable agony. He only experienced release when his children decided to sleep and when he was wrapped in the arms of his queen. Both occasions were growing increasingly rare. Rhea looked at his warped gut with barely contained disgust, and immortal children needed no sleep. He had taken to lifting entire mountains to see if he could build his strength enough that he could no longer feel the pain. Then, maybe, he could enjoy the pleasures of his rule again. The day of their sixth child's birth came faster than Cronus expected. He was on his way back to Mount Othrus when he heard a child's cry split the air. But as he quickened his pace, he found a figure blocking his path, one that he desperately wanted to avoid. Move aside, Prometheus. I have to see Rhea. But my king, I have great news! The humans are holding a festival in your honor. A festival? Yes, you are their patron of the harvest. Given how much you use that scythe, it seemed fitting. So who am I to dissuade them? I have no time for this. If you see how it feels to be worshipped, maybe you'll understand my experiment. I require no tribute beyond that of my fellow titans. Your children are beneath me. They are but insects. But as the sweet smell of incense tickled his nostrils, even the resolute Cronus found it hard to resist. It might be good for him to remember that someone recognized his rule, that he was not devouring his own children for naught. He would stay for one hour, one hour only. The next morning, an invigorated Cronus arrived back in his palace, his ego just as inflated as his writhing belly. When he entered his chambers, he was horrified to see Rhea standing, holding her infant in swaddling clothes. Cronus felt his heart ache a little. She looked so happy, cooing gently to the wrapped bundle in her arms. He thought it a mercy how quickly he swallowed the others. He should part her with this one before her bond grew too strong. He strode across the room and, without so much as a greeting, snatched up the child and gulped it down. The titan's insides shivered. For a brief moment, he felt ill, and then his stomach settled into its usual squirming discomfort. Finally, he brought his gaze to meet Rhea's. Her stare was ice cold and something about it made him worry, like he had just made an enormous mistake. Up next, we'll follow what became of the child that escaped its father's appetite. Now, back to the story. Zeus had never laid eyes on Cronus, and yet his father always appeared in his dreams. The titan took the form of a great shadow looming over the treetops. No matter how desperately Zeus tried to hide, the giant always managed to reach down and pluck him up as if it was picking a flower. 
Its mouth opened wide, and Zeus would see down its gullet rows and rows of bodies that looked just like him sliding down the monster's bloody gums and into the abyss beyond. Then the mouth would close and the dream would end in darkness. When he awoke, he was in a cave. He'd spent most of his life in caves, hiding from the father who'd swallowed his siblings to avoid his prophesied downfall, a fate that the hot-headed Zeus was now determined to bring about. Beside him lay a female form, naked as he was, eyelids fluttering in a dream without worry. Metis was the titan of wisdom, his first wife, and his first ally against Cronus. Zeus stood and walked to the cave entrance, where he looked out into the night. His waking hours were spent longing to confront the king of the universe and save his siblings, but in the dark, his nightmares troubled him. What part of him was still afraid? What troubles you, my husband? Nothing. Even the greatest warriors still feel fear. I am not a warrior. I am a god. A god who talks in his sleep. How do you think it will feel to sit on the throne of Cronus when you have deposed him? I could care less about his throne. My brothers and sisters languish in his gut. I would see them free. And my mother. You would see her freed as well? I would see her answer for her own crimes. But Rhea sacrificed so much that you would not join your siblings. In doing so, she sacrificed her duties as a mother. She's as much a stranger to me as my father was. Do not judge her so harshly. I think she would be proud of you. She will rejoice to see how you have grown. What was she like? She was... Strong, but not in the way your father was. Her power came from a deeper place. When in the same room with her, every titan could feel the depth of her love if we had the strength to meet her gaze. She held within her an ocean of feeling that would drown any interloper and dash their ships to ruin. If Cronus was a sword arm, she was the shoulder behind its swing. Why did she not abandon him if she was so powerful? He would have followed her to the ends of the earth. To leave him would be to sacrifice you as well. She made the hard choice for both your sakes. The sooner I can defeat my father, the better. Remember, we use my plan first. Then we fight. Of course, my love. I have been hiding for so much of my life. I know not what it'll be like to be known at all. Do you think you'll be able to handle the attention? <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow, won't we? Metis slid her hand over her husband's well-formed muscles. He allowed himself a small sigh at her gentle touch. But his mind was elsewhere. Tomorrow, he was to infiltrate a banquet at his father's hall. If her potion worked, Zeus would not be fighting alone. But if it did not he would likely spend all of eternity at the mercy of a vengeful father. And his nightmare would become a reality. Cronus despised their new cupbearer. He was slow and clumsy, clearly not used to the task of serving gods. But then again, Cronus found himself despising most things these days. 
The gods growing inside him hurt more with each passing year, and the constant strain meant that he couldn't relax even for a moment. And after their sixth child, Rhea refused his bed, letting him sleep bloated and miserable on his throne instead. For almost 20 years this had gone on. He was sure the other titans noticed. He caught their furtive looks and whispers when they thought he wasn't looking. Their king had become a warped and grotesque version of himself. He knew they were all thinking it. Even he felt revulsion at his engorged gut, which could not be contained by any girdle due to its constant wriggling. He did his best to hide his collapsed frame beneath heavy black robes. He told himself that he could handle the whispers of his fellow titans. He just wished Rhea would stop treating him with such cruel indifference. More wine! Here you are, my lord. In the future, come quickly when your master calls. I would cut you in half for being such a layabout. Does my lord need anything else? I will need more wine in a moment, so don't go far. You there, cousin! Yes, Lord Cronus? Where did you find that one? He's a terrible cupbearer. He hails from the Isle of Crete, my lord. The son of a minor titan and a nymph, if I'm not mistaken. <sighs> Curse all these distant relatives. With each generation, the blood of titans grows even thinner. You do well to marry someone who can give you mighty children. <clears throat> so you don't end up with offspring like that oaf. I am the goddess of wisdom, my lord. I need no counsel on whom I marry. Wisdom, eh? Then do you know where that bloody fool Prometheus is? Tricksters are always making my life difficult. And now he didn't even deign to show his face. <clears throat> I know not. Shall I ask Rhea for you? Cronus grimaced and went back to his wine. He could not tell if his defiant cousin meant anything by the comment, but he did not feel like punishing disobedience today. All he felt like doing was drinking until his stomach would settle for an hour or two. He finished the glass and called for another, finally taking the whole jug in his hands. The drink seemed to be working faster than usual. Already he could feel a pleasant numbness work its way through his belly. For the first time in decades, he let his shoulders relax and he lay back in the chair. His swollen gut lay still over his thighs. The relief was only momentary. Suddenly, he seized up in agony, radiating from his stomach outward. It felt like all the beings in his belly were swirling around a whirlpool, sending waves of nausea rolling up his throat. He opened his mouth to cry for some ambrosia, but instead of words, a hand forced its way out. An arm followed, slender, female, and strong. Cronus choked, attempting to swallow it back down, but it was no use. Another arm pushed its way through. Soon he was on all fours, gagging and vomiting, as one by one his adult children crawled up his throat. 
His jaw unhinged with a horrible cracking sound, and he barely noticed the pain as each new figure gave a new wave of relief to his long-suffering insides. Between heaves, he looked up to see his cupbearer standing above him, no longer demure, but radiant and proud, looking down on him with an expression that was all too familiar. Who are you? What have you done to me? You did this to yourself, father. You are my... As he struggled to get the word out, a rough object blocked his windpipe. With a final wretch, he puked it onto the ground as well. It was a rock wrapped in swaddling clothes. Cronus collapsed face first, panting heavily. His stomach spread in loose flaps of skin around his waistline, like he had melted partly into the floor. The Titans stood in shock around this deflated creature they called their king, and they looked to the new gods, standing proud and unblemished in spite of their gruesome upbringing. Cronus saw his children stand for just a moment before they turned and fled, the armies of Mount Othrus in pursuit. Soon he was alone in his palace, breathing heavily in a pool of his own sick. All his efforts had been for naught. His reign was at an end. The war between the gods and titans had begun. In ancient Greek lore, gods were not meant to be aspirational figures. After all, if the gods were perfect, the world would be a utopia. The imperfect world that humanity lived in required imperfect gods to explain it. The personalities of the Greek gods are as volatile as the elements they represent, meaning that, in a way, the Olympian pantheon is the original, dysfunctional family. And though we know about Cronus's attempts to stave off his own demise, very little information about the world under the Titans exists. Of all the epic poems retelling the War of the Gods and the Titans, only Hesiod's Theogony survives. Because of this, a certain enigma shrouds many of the Titans. A number of the original twelve Titans are just names listed on a family tree, without personality or their divine powers specified. Even Cronus, who is the most developed Titan of the whole bunch, is something of an enigma compared to his offspring. All the Theogony tells us is that he was brave or ambitious enough to cut down the sky god Uranus, but did not have the courage to face his own fate. And after he is deposed by Zeus, he vanishes from mythology, save for the occasional reference. Unlike other Titans, such as Atlas and Prometheus, his punishment is not deemed notable enough to record in later myths. Perhaps it's given greater weight in the lost epic poem Titonomachia, detailing the war between the gods and the titans, but we may never know for sure. In spite of the holes in this story, the tragedy of Cronus has a powerful thematic core that resonates to this day. 
The future is uncertain to all, and the idea that we will be supplanted by our daughters and sons as time marches inexorably forward is a terrifying one. Cronus's tale can be seen as an allegory for older generations who try to hold on to relevance and power long after their time has passed, even to the point of ensuring their own demise. And it's telling that the most famous artwork depicting the Titan shows him not as a king, but as a monster. The untitled painting, often called Saturn Devouring His Son, depicts the Titan monstrously devouring his own son as his wild eyes stare outward. Francisco Goya's brushstrokes make the figure look depraved and ghoulish, his cannibalistic meal a gory mess. This artwork reflects a cultural transformation of the Cronus myth, from Renaissance paintings showing his triumph over Uranus to this graphic oil painting showing his terror at being overthrown. And even as he was imprisoned in Tartarus, or the Cave of Nyx, depending on which account you prefer, the fear that drove Cronus lives on in his son. Although Zeus had the moral high ground in the Titanomachy, he would soon fall prey to the same traps that consumed his predecessor, even though he had taken Cronus's throne as the all-powerful ruler of creation, Zeus never learned how to be a good father. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with the second part of the story of Zeus and Cronus. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every Wednesday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, and Rebecca Thomas. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson.